Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Welcome back, Aspire to Lead listeners and Teach Better family. So excited to be with you once again for a bonus episode, which is now becoming a monthly thing for the 2024 year. And I'm so excited to have my co-host Brad Hughes with me as we're going to be touching on something that I kind of teased on the last episode with Grace Stevens. If you haven't had a chance to check that episode out, make sure you do that. She talks a lot about mental health, the science behind happiness, and some strategies for leaders, which I think is so helpful during this time of year. Brad, you're, I know, in the thick of it right now. So do you need some happiness tips? Joshua, I'm almost, almost always on the lookout for finding the joy uh, and happiness tips. I'm welcome to receive them. I'm also eager to share them because I know that uh, finding happiness amid our very busy days as educators is key. Uh, and yes. being able at the end of any given day, in spite of the trials and tribulations and setbacks we may experience, just just seeking the good and finding a few moments of reflection on how we moved the needle, even in small ways for the kids and the communities we serve, just making things just a little bit better than they were yesterday. For sure. So what I tease out, Brad, was the 12-hour live event that the Teach Better team does, I guess, yearly now. I know some folks have teased, are laughing now about the 24-hour live that some right. people have been pitching for years, but still 12 hours. And I have the pleasure of having a segment with you, Mr. Brad Hughes. And we're going to be talking about a topic near and dear to my heart, heart called the language of behavior. And just a little shout out to Charlie Peck, who I am actually writing a book with right now as we speak on the same topic. So newsflash, uh, I haven't really announced that to anyone, but I'm going to, because I have Brad Hughes on with me, I'm going to share a little oh. tidbit for my listeners. But uh, yeah, I'm super excited about that resource. But Brad, that's not why we're here. We're here to kind of share a little bit about that segment. I'm super excited about that resource. Before we leave that aspect, congratulations. And uh, both you and Charlie, what a dynamic duo in terms of speaking the language of behavior. And, and one of the things I love about that title, Josh, and I hope that really resonates with viewers and listeners of our podcast here, but also viewers and listeners to the 12-Hour Live, is, is just that awesome reminder that behavior is communication. Uh, the behaviors that we see uh, in ourselves and we behaviors that we see around us in the kids and communities that we serve, it, it's telling us something. And if we can seek to better understand what is going on or what may be going on below the surface of those behaviors, however confrontational they may appear, however off-putting or upsetting uh, they may be to us as, as uh, people that are accompanying kids through tough situations, if we can dig a little bit deeper past the surface to find out what the behavior might be telling us, then we have an opportunity to address the needs that the behavior is communicating. Yeah. So Brad, we're going to be releasing this episode on Wednesday. So that's a few days prior to the live event. So if anyone is listening and has, I don't know, questions or things that they want to have us discuss a little bit further, obviously they can reach out to myself or you. Uh, our handles are on the screen for those who are watching on YouTube. And thank you for that. And then of course, you know, you can hit us up. It's Joshua at Teach Better or Brad at teachbetter.com. That's, that's those are our emails. You can always reach out to that way uh, to communicate anything that you would like for the segment. Yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, to echo the, the our invitation to mm -hmm. uh, to hear from you, viewers and listeners of Aspire to Lead, or wherever you're finding us. 
let us know what's on your mind in terms of the behavior that you see in and amongst your school communities, strategies that you're looking to develop, uh, ways that you're looking to enhance how we respond to kids in need from the uh, from the very minor to the very critical. So where do you want to go with this conversation, sir? I would love to circle back to uh, a blog that you wrote with your partner, Leslie, on the language of behavior and, and, and talk a little bit about your interest, your continued interest, but maybe where the interest emerged in uh, trauma-informed or trauma-based embedded practices that allow us to serve our communities even better. Yeah. Hopefully people aren't tired of the story, or if you've heard it, you can fast forward a little bit <laughs> further into this conversation. But my wife and I have been foster parents for 12 years. We actually just stopped. We adopted our fourth child. And so at the beginning of that, I was kind of going through just a tough time in administration because I was really focused on three things. It was detentions, ISS, OSS. And yeah. as we know, those aren't very <laughs> helpful um, when we're really talking about some of these really strong behaviors. and. So going through that training with TCU and trauma-based you know, strategies there, it was talking about behaviors of foster kids and how to really pour into them and having this connection and having a stronger relationship and, and what trauma does to the body, to the brain. And I was just making this constant connection of like, these are the exact same behaviors that I'm seeing on my campus, um, but we're handling discipline really differently. And how we're communicating and how we're working with the student. There's a lot of disconnect between the relationship, right? Go away, <laughs> go to ISS, go home, right? Uh, pushing kids out the door. So I was trying to figure out, well, what's that alternative look like? And so yeah. the resource that you're talking about, that blog, that was done pretty early on in our journey as far as foster parents, but it was my way of kind of sharing out what I was doing on the campus level as far as uh, educator and administrator, but then also on the parenting side, because, you know, even though our kids were young when we had them in our home, you know, there was still trauma that occurred in utero. And a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people don't think about that. But, you know, we saw the effects of that in, you know, their decision making growing up. There were some academic things that needed to be taken care of. There were some medical things that need to be taken care of. So just kind of two different aspects of things under the same umbrella. I wonder if you can reflect on the importance or sort of the aha realization that you and the team that you led led you to prioritize relationships and the development of a relationship action team. Yeah. So the RATS group, which if I knew that acronym was going to be RATS, I probably would have changed it. But I was trying to get to the heart of what's important, which was relationship, right? So we, the admin team, I came back, I told them about TBRI, which is that trauma-based, um, trust-based um, strategies that I was talking about that I was learning through Professor Purvis at TCU. And honestly, they were like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Why not? Because we were looking at the data, Brad, and it was staggering how it was just intensifying through the year. And and the kids didn't want to see us. You know, we were the we were the sheriffs, right? We were the bad guys. We were yeah. run the other way when we were walking through the halls or into a classroom. And so we didn't want it to feel that way. We I, I know our parents were frustrated, our kids were frustrated, our teachers were frustrated. So it was like, why not just try something different? So I really tried to find like-minded folks. So I started with seven teachers, counselors, coaches, like people that I knew saw the exact same thing. They wanted to at least explore some other options. And that's what it was. We had three things that were a part of that action team. And at the time I didn't write about this, but it, you know, I thought it was important and I want to share it today is, you know, one was being open-minded, come in 
without any biases, without any of your own prior experiences, maybe as a kid or as a teacher, as an administrator, and, you know, learn. <laughs> That's what we're here to do. I'm not the expert by any means. You know, I had just gone to a couple of trainings, but that did not make me an expert by any means. I wanted to make sure that I was learning with this group. The other thing was that, you know, whatever we're learning, you need to implement it. You need to try it out, even if it fails. Okay. If it fails, then don't continue to do it. You know, try something else that we're learning about. The last thing too was once something works, share it to a peer. Make sure that you're getting other people to understand that, yes, I am trying something new and there's benefits from it. So please join us in part of the relation action team or the rats group. And what happened was it was this grassroots movement that just grew and grew until we had almost half the staff by the end of the school year. So what was supposed to just kind of be a small group at first to, to learn, it expanded. So it almost became part of the entire school culture. So it was a very easy implementation process for year two. A couple of things coming to mind. One is the importance of bringing kids into the fold uh, whenever possible, as opposed to excluding them, whether it's through in-school suspension, out-of-school suspension. Quite often, kids who need us the most are also the ones that unfortunately are uh, isolated. Uh, and some, yeah. sometimes uh, suspension uh, is absolutely appropriate, a necessary mm -hmm. strategy and a progressive approach to uh, behavior uh, improvement. But I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about uh, your your personal commitment to shifting to more restorative practices, mm -hmm. maybe some of the tension that uh, the faculty that you were serving may have felt, uh, who may have been looking for more punitive approaches in terms of responding immediately and swiftly to behavior that wasn't meeting expectations. Talk a little bit about that with us. I think there was a lot of apprehension. I mean, I was working in Texas. So, I mean, some folks were like corporal punishment. Let's whoop them. I mean, that literally came out of their mouth. And I was like, whoa, let's let's back up quite a bit. You know, we're going the other direction. And I think the biggest fear is control. You know, I think they thought that they were going to lose control of the environment. They also unfortunately had this preconceived idea that restored practices was a kumbaya circle and that we were going to not really focus on the behavior and that the students were just going to get off scot-free and there were going to be no consequences. And so it was really just trying to negate that and say, no, it's something that's in partnership with, right? So trying to lay it out to them. Okay. So someone has a low level, you know, issue going on, right? They're being disruptive. Well, in the past they would get kicked out and then this an extreme amount of class time. Well, now we've got a fractured relationship. The student goes to the front office. I build a relationship with them. You know, then I give them consequence and then they go back to class. Well, that relationship is so fractured. Nothing has been done to resolve that. And so <laughs> there's this whole animosity and tension between the two, uh, between student and teacher. And then the behavior just proceeds, right? Because we haven't addressed the issue. And a lot of times we think that punishment or the fear of getting punishment is going to solve the issue and then build the skills magically. And that they're going to come back to class you know, this perfect little angel. And of course we know that's not the case. And so, you know, it's just trying to find a way to restore what was broken. So if it's a fractured or broken relationship, maybe it's a broken item. Mm. <laughs> or I mean, there's a lot of things that can be fractured, right? Um, we, we I could go through a long list of student behaviors. So it was trying to get at the bottom of, okay, we can't assume that the children that are coming into our door have the skills to go through stressful or adverse situations, control their emotions and make good decisions on the other end of it. So what are we doing as a campus and talking about control? What are we controlling to make sure that they have those skills to not only be successful here today and tomorrow, but then also be successful adults moving forward. 
Uh, one approach uh, that really resonates with me coming out of that restorative practice idea is is uh, looking inward uh, rather than outward, uh, looking at educator practice beliefs and, and, and educator wellness. And, and you know, it's often said that we we have to find our own calm enable in order to share it. Yeah. Uh, and and within your classroom, I guess within yourself or within your classroom or within your campus, looking for the sources of stress or distress that you can reduce. Uh, you know, challenging yourself to wonder if what we're seeing is misbehavior. Is it is it actually willful? Or is it, uh, um, is it a culmination of a cumulative stress, uh, especially when you consider the stress load that many of, your, of our kids and young people are walking into our buildings with? Uh, you know, pervasive community stress. We still experience ripples and, and, and leftovers from, uh, from the pandemic that we've survived. Yeah. Families facing a lack of uh, funds, a lack of food, a lack of appropriate housing and access to health care. There is tons of community stress that ultimately may fall on the shoulders of the young people that walk into our buildings each day and, and seeking to better understand the lives of those that we serve, as well as, you know, activate the empathy, looking a little, again, just continue to look past the surface behaviors to why might that student be behaving and into language of behavior, right, Joshua, like, what is this behavior telling me about the relationship that I need to cultivate with this student at this time? Yeah, I think with the language of behavior, the the idea and what I was trying to share with my staff is that if you see something that's abnormal, there's an underlying reason for that, right? And so just like a doctor, if uh, a patient wow. comes in, we're looking at symptoms, right? We don't know what the problem is, but we have to diagnose it and based on the information that we have. And it's the same as what educators have to do. And so, you know, for my teachers, it was just like, okay, there's obviously something going on. If, if, <laughs> if kids running, you tell them to stop, and they tell you F off. That's not normal, right? There's something else going on there at a deeper level. And it's not because their mom or dad didn't teach them not to say that to an adult. That's not the case. There's something, you know, potentially happening. And so, you know, when you, when you take the time to, to dive in a little bit deeper and to get to the root, you know, there's some like just terrible stories of, you know, parents going through a divorce or abuse or neglect or, you know, just, just so many, I can, I can think of a thousand things that I've heard that has just been so crushing to the heart, right. Of how on earth are you even here at school? You know, how are you functioning at a normal level? And a lot of kids are just trying to hold it together, especially when you're talking about middle school and high school, that's mm -hmm. eight different classrooms, eight different teachers, different norms, different procedures. And then in addition, you've got the fact that, you know, for our middle schoolers, their brain is growing almost as rapid as a two-year-old. They don't right. know even sometimes the emotions that they have in their body. They don't even know how to address those, <laughs> let alone, you know, having something horrible occur either with their peers or with their family members. And so for us, you know, I know the curriculum is important and, you know, making sure that kids have masteries of the objectives. But a lot of times, too, we have to kind of pause and understand that there's some greater things that are going on in these kids' lives where school is not number one. Survival is number one. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. You know, uh, talking about that survival brain, uh, we simply can't access uh, the parts of our brain that are designed to cultivate relationships nor to restore uh, harm that's been done uh, if we are focused on just merely survival. And, and that, that leads me to wonder about uh, educators that may be listening or watching right now who are in the middle of managing 
so-called extreme behaviors among the students that they serve, let alone the colleagues and the, and the the community distress within our schools that's been experienced. You know, these situations lead us to fear for our safety. We're, we're anxious. We're upset. We aren't able to access that relationship brain if we're worried about our own personal safety or simply if we're dealing with an elevated level of distress as a result of the behaviors around us. Did, did you, were you able to help faculty members through that tension? And do you have any suggestions for educators who might be listening, how, how to find that calm in the midst of chaos? Oh my goodness, yes. So first off, if you feel like that, you definitely need to get support in that. You know, if any teacher was like, I'm afraid to be in the same room as this child, myself or some other adult was there to support that teacher. So, you know, that was very important for myself to understand, like, yeah, my teachers are important too. I need to make sure that they're feeling safe, just like anyone else that comes in my building. I don't want uh, a student or a, a parent to not feel safe coming into those doors either. So like, yeah, I would do everything in my power to make sure that that was something where they were getting support in numbers. Um, so they weren't alone in that situation, but two, also trying to give them strategies and skills to make sure that they knew how to de-escalate a situation because you never know when, you know, a kid is going to escalate to a point where they're no longer go gone. You had talked about that survival brain and yeah, when, <laughs> when that shuts off, I mean, I can sh share just a story real quick, Brad is, you know, I had a student that we got called to the room. And so, you know, myself and my dean of students, we ran there, you know, the student was escalated, it, heavy breathing, very tense body, fists were balled up, eyes were glazed, you know, whole, <laughs> you, you could tell that this student was just not there anymore. And so the teacher and the dean of students were kind of given the business, you know, just saying, you know, this is an appropriate behavior, you know, given a long list of kind of a lecture. And I kind of just tapped my dean of students on the shoulder and I was like, you know, come here. And I broke it down for him to let him understand, like, this is the nonverbal communication that's occurring. This child is not listening to you. <laughs> you can talk all day and nothing's going to be imputed. That right there, I think was important to then show to the staff also, because if you think about like when you went to go get your teaching license, there wasn't a class on nonverbal communication with the students and classroom management. And I don't remember doing any of that. It was mostly on, you know, how to assess and how to, you know, make sure that we were getting the, the different learning styles and how to do a lesson plan. Right. We didn't talk about classroom management. And if we did, it was a very small section. So like, this is something that we just assume that teachers possess as soon as we hire them. And that's not the case. And that's for a first year teacher or a 20 year vet. You know, a lot of times they don't possess some of these assessing of nonverbals too. You have to get that trained. And unfortunately, a lot of time that comes with failure. So like, I don't want my teachers to feel like they don't have the tools and toolbox for when a kid is getting to that really high escalated situation. You know, our uh, colleague, uh, Lindsay Titus, who is a behavior mm -hmm. analyst and behavior specialist has recently put a number of blogs and, and uh, posts out reminding educators that uh, behavior change is an inside job first and foremost. And so, uh, you know, when we have those moments of calm, just, just Lindsay advocates checking in with ourselves to really think, feel, and embody uh, what response we are prepared to move forward. And and you're advocating too, Joshua, for the using sort of the the, the path of least resistance. You're you're trying to find a way to uh, leverage and access the relationship as well as communicate in a way that is uh, soothing. And that is, you know, less is more, less is more in those situations. 
I can think of plenty of times where, you know, a student had a incident occur that they didn't make good choices. It went to a high level and the teacher was afraid of what was going to happen tomorrow. Right. And I remember being in classrooms and saying, you know, don't worry about it. You know, I'll come in and we'll check it out. And, you know, to, to the credit, I'm thinking of a science teacher, you know, she was phenomenal, but you know, she, it was a new day for her, right? She, she had that mindset and she communicated in the same way, right? She, she didn't hover over the child. She was on her knees talking to the kid and she made sure that she was trying to figure out like how their day was going beyond just what the curriculum had for that lesson plan. And, you know, there were some other things that she did within her skills of building relationships where, you know, her voice was always calm. It was always cheerful. Honestly, she just had this gift, but like, I know she was worried from the beginning part and wanted me there for the rest of the week. But after one lesson, she came over and was like, I'm good. <laughs> like, you know, it's just one of those things that a lot of times we, we bring a lot of fear to the, to the future because we don't know, right. We just experienced something where the child maybe blew up and had this huge emotional response. And then we just, you know, are fearful that that's going to become the norm. Right. And maybe I don't have the skills and, you know, just by giving a little bit of support, but then also giving that like positive feedback at the end too, of like, Hey, you did X, Y, and Z and it was perfect. It was beautiful. And the student is responding from your perfect skills. <laughs> like you did such a great job. Right. And because of that feedback, because of that experience of having a, a wonderful time with that kid, it just deescalated, you know, her fears and, you know, she, she didn't have an issue the rest of the year, you know? And sometimes that's the thing is like our, our kids are going through really, really tough situations. And you had talked about the pandemic and I haven't even touched on that, but like a lot of those skills that should have been possessed didn't because they weren't in school for such a long yep. period of time, depending on where you are in that country. So you got to understand like a lot of the students may look like they are old, that they're married, have kids and are driving to school. <laughs> but they are probably about two or three years behind as far as maturity level. And for someone that's gone through trauma, you can cut that in half, right? It's probably half their age. So if you've got, you know, a 10 year old, they may be acting like a five year old if they have trauma in their life. And that's really difficult when you just kind of have this assumption that based on how they look or their age, they should possess certain skills to be successful in school. And you said that key word, that key word is should. It, it shouldn't be this way. It, it should look differently. And, and so, you know, it's a process, I think, uh, more and more of continuing to suspend or to challenge our own assumptions and expectations of what kids should or should not be or have the capacity to do. And, you know, some interesting hypotheses, some interesting research coming out of uh, impact on, you know, our, our early years learners the pandemic and, and thinking about the, those formative years in a community setting like a preschool or a kindergarten class when those are interrupted that, that removes the opportunity for kids to receive loving guiding feedback as they bump up against you know the relationship uh, difficulties and just the ins and outs of, of safe play and learning to get along with others uh, having been interrupted we've got kids who are arriving at school never having had the opportunity to bump up against those boundaries in order to be in a community setting with loving adults and say, no, this, that's not the way we do things. We do things this way. And here's why. So, you know, just suspending our, uh, our assumptions and, and challenging when we hear, it sh when we hear those shoulds challenging those shoulds. And as Lindsay again would say, getting out of shouldville. Well, yeah, it's that conflict resolution. Right. And I, I had a response, you know, after the pandemic to let our teachers know, like, Yes. <laughs> if it was a normal three years of, of span, 
then they would have the experience to work through this, right? They would have the guidance of their teacher and from their peers and, you know, the, the school setting, there's a lot that is taught beyond just math, science and, and English, right? I mean, we were talking about how to be successful young adults. And so when you take that away and maybe they're doing school from a laptop in their room by themselves for eight hours a day, I mean, that that social aspect is is missing. And so, yeah, of course, we're going to see that ripple effect now where those skills may not be possessed. And like I said, in addition to the fact that a lot of things happened during that time that was really horrific, a lot of people had deaths in the family. A lot of people lost jobs. There was, you know, am I going to have food on the table? Um, you know, there was a lot of stress. Uh, I know some folks <laughs> try to block that out and not think about it, but it was a really tough time. Um, we didn't know a lot about the future and a lot of what we did was scary. And so for a kid that, like I said, is having a growing brain that doesn't know how to control their emotions and to work through that and potentially not have an adult with them, that that's pretty stressful. You know, as we uh, think back on this conversation, Joshua, and it was, as we look ahead to 12 hour live, just to mm -hmm. kind of sum up, we're, we're hoping that we're able to connect with viewers and listeners and, and really stress those three C's, you know, communication, learning to match the communication to the behavior that we see connection, leveraging connection and, and understanding too, that connection can look different yes. for different children in different ways than we may expect and, and suspending those expectations and finding, you know, why might this be happening and, and why now, and how can I leverage that connection with this child or with these children to, uh, to their benefit. And finally, mm -hmm. That third C is calm, helping educators come from a place of calm first so that they can help children find their own calm. You know, self-regulation is grown through thousands and thousands of co-regulative interactions with yep. uh, loving and caring adults. And so uh, one one uh, expectation I think we can suspend and we need to, su to suspend is that, that uh, any child or youth is arriving in our school uh, ready and with the capacity to self-regulate. Uh, we as educators must position ourselves alongside as companions in that co-regulation effort. For sure. You got to be a window, not a mirror. So Love it. the Love student it. is coming at you aggressively. You can't come back aggressive. You just got to let it go through you. And I know it's difficult. I've done it, like Brad said, thousands of times with students yep. that you cannot take whatever they're giving at you and give it back. You got to make sure that you're always calm in high stress situations. Well, I think as, as school leaders ourselves and as uh, school leaders that serve others that are aspiring to lead, it's, it's that sense of calm. If, if we can find it and, and, and be the calm in the storm that our, our staff members and, and faculty members need, uh, not only are we leading by example, if we can find our calm, we can share it with others who are in difficult situations. And, and we know that uh, you know, student well-being is, you cannot separate it from the educator well-being. The well-being of kids is directly connected to the well-being and the and the health of all the significant adults in their lives, including uh, parents, caregivers, and our staff members as well. Awesome. Well, Brad, I'm looking forward to the 12-hour live. For those who are listening or watching on YouTube, we are going to be live on all of the social media platforms. And I mean all. So Every single one. <laughs> every, every Maybe single even one. some that haven't been invented yet. Maybe so. I guess TikTok maybe isn't on the list, but everything else, I'm pretty sure we on, we're on it. That's so, it. Facebook, um, YouTube, Twitter, <laughs> Twitch, LinkedIn, we'll be there. Yeah. 7 a.m. Eastern time to 7 p.m. Eastern time, 12 hours. 12 hours. And it's not 24 hours yet. Uh, we're going to strive for a 24-hour live, I think, in, in 2025. <laughs> <laughs> it would have made sense, though, to do it 2024. 24 yeah. hours in 2024. Oh. 
missed opportunity. The opportunity. Hey, yeah. we'll, we'll just we'll we'll just do the best we can uh, with the twelve hours that we have, and, and what an action packed and what a valuable lineup of guests that we have uh, serving mm -hmm. all kinds of educators, uh, K to twelve and beyond. So make sure you're subscribing to our Teach Better YouTube channel, uh, yep. as well as checking out uh, all of the posts. Uh, that are in the various social media, you can see the 12-hour lineup. It's going to be a fantastic day of learning uh, and of connecting as well. Oh, for sure. And I can't wait to connect with you again, Brad, in just a couple of days. So for those who are listening or watching, if you have any questions, of course, you can reach out to us. Um, you can even contact me on my website, joshchamber.com. Also, the resource Brad was talking about, myself and my wonderful wife, Leslie, we have several blogs on there specific on this topic. So yep. um, if you want more information, of course, you can head over there, joshstamper.com. And then for those who are watching on YouTube, thank you so much. You can subscribe to Joshua Stamper. That's the YouTube page or channel. And of course, like Brad said, make sure that you're heading over to Teach Better's YouTube page. That is a growing community and one that you can watch the 12 hour live. In fact, I think a lot of people are going to start heading over for that platform specifically because they can watch it on their TV. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's easy. All right, Brad. Well, thank you so much, sir, for joining Aspire to Lead for this month. And I'm super excited to record again in the month of March. I'm excited to uh, love the opportunity to connect with you personally, but also uh, really appreciate the opportunity to connect with uh, your audience through Aspire to Lead and looking forward to our March episode. <laughs>